Hey ghouls, happy hump day, and welcome to Ghoul Friends Podcast, brought to you by your best ghoul friends, Lucy and Lindsay. Grab your blankets, snacks, and good vibes for tonight's sleepover, where the category is always horrifically spooky. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at GhoulFriendPod on Twitter and GhoulFriends underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also listen to us on all podcasting platforms where we release new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to follow me on my personal socials, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Lulu underscore Pew. And I'm at Hi It's Lindsay underscore on all social media. Now let's get spooky. Hey, gorgeous ghouls, and welcome back to Ghoul Friends Podcast. Um, it's been a while since you've heard my voice. Um, I think it's been, what, two, three weeks since I've hosted, so it's, it's a bit strange. It feels all new again. Um, but I'm not alone. I'm joined by my favourite ghoul, Lindsay. How are you doing? Did you miss me terribly? I did. I actually said uh, to Kelly and Jess last week after recording, I was like, I was a bit nervous because Lucy's not here. It's like a little comfort blanket, oh. but <laughs> we got through it. It was a good episode. So yeah, I did miss you. <laughs> Bless your cotton socks. But I, I've listened to half of the episode so far and it's really good. Yeah, um, they were fab. The three of you bounce off each other so well. So yeah, folks, if you've not listened to the last episode, um, Revenge is a dish fest served cold, please go go check that out. Um, but we are not alone today. We are joined by another incredible guest this week, which is Stanley. How are you doing, Gull? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for being here. Um, yes. I'm very excited about this week's theme, and we are going to be talking all things witches. Yes. <laughs> now, Stanley, before we get into the movies and um, you know what we've chosen, do you want to tell people a little bit about like your passion for like horror, how how you came about horror, and just like your little corner of the internet and what you do online? Oh gosh. Um, well, I I came about horror when I was about three years old. I started very young um, with Pet Cemetery. My stepdad introduced me. Um, I don't think he did it on purpose, but um, <laughs> I, I, I watched Pet Cemetery at a very young age and it scarred me and I just became obsessed with um, Stephen King and horror movies in general. And um, it, it, it just sparked a, a very large obsession and passion and I've just been on a streak ever since. And um, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And I, I watch everything and I... I I have um, a very obscure knowledge when it comes down to it, and it's kind of sick. Like I know a lot about about horror movies, and like a lot of people know about uh, fashion, and a lot of people know about um, you know other things. I I know a lot about horror films, and it's and some people find it disturbing, and um, I just find I find everything about horror movies fascinating. As far as my corner of the internet, I host a YouTube channel called Sandy Boy Reviews, where I upload weekly reviews of horror films, be it new releases, old releases, and uh, you can find me on YouTube, and that's Danny Boy Reviews. I also have an Instagram called Danny Boy Reviews, and yeah, I up, I upload uh, reviews weekly, so. 
that's that. It's it's relatively new. I just started in January, so I'm I'm trying, and uh, that's that. <laughs> you're trying and you're thriving. So I'm trying and thriving. <laughs> please go check Stanley out and his amazing reviews on YouTube. It's really interesting to hear like people's origin stories and how they came into horror and like for some people it's Stephen King you know we were speaking just off recording about like Treehouse of Horror and The Simpsons like for some people that yeah. could be a gateway I feel like Goosebumps was kind of that a little bit for me as a kid like kind of gateway sure. into horror but yeah we will get into this week's episode so we're talking about witches now Stanley what movie did you choose to bring to the table for the spooky sleepover I chose The Witches from 1990, um, starring Angelica Houston, uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, uh, for a number of reasons. I think it's, um, I think it's just, a, even though it's considered a children's film, it's very dark. And um, again, I saw it at a very young age. I was introduced to it by my grandmother. And, uh, and to me still, I mean, I, re I revisited it yesterday and I watch it more often than not. I, I probably watch this movie once every few months and it's still, it's still more of a scary film than a than a children's film, and I don't know if it's because it's a Jim Henson movie or and, and a lot of Jim Henson movies have that really creepy quality that um, most children's movies don't. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it, but this this movie it, it still scares me to this day, and even as a full grown adult. And um, I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've talked about kid-friendly horror on the podcast before, and we're both big fans, um, you know, from the classics that, you know, can actually teach you things like the Adams Family. We've spoken about this a few times, like good family values and like, you know, fuck the, the stereotype of the nuclear family and what it should be. And like some kids' horror films are genuinely really scary um like with the witches I read the book as a kid and I remember watching this and it was fucking terrifying and watching it as an adult yeah. I'm like this is still creepy uh Lindsay did you watch the witches as a kid did you read the Roald Dahl book or was this like a first watch for you I'm so bad with like both of these films the witches was a first watch for me and with Hocus Pocus I only watched it for the first time last year but oh my the witches is terrifying I was really like scared like quite a lot watching this like with the little mice just cutting about the hotel I was like oh my god they're gonna die and then at one point when it stamped like one of the biggest jump scares I've had in a long time like it's really terrifying but really excited to get into that and um get get your thoughts on like a first viewing of it as well Lindsay and then a big fan like yourself Stanley we can talk and get into it but the next film as you mentioned is Hocus Pocus, another classic Ooh. and a film that I love. Now, this Lindsay, this was your choice. So you said you've only watched this the once. Did you like love it and you were immediately like, I need to talk about this? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I feel like the pair, like the two films are talked about together as really fun kids films. And I was like, you know, I was kind of going through like my list of horror films that I've got on my phone. I'm like, oh, I could talk about this, I could talk about that. But it just felt like this was just like the perfect, like, comparison film companion film to the witches and it's pride month as well I feel like these films are like really resonating with the queer community they're so campy and like there's such a powerhouse cast in both of them and we have Bette Midler and Angelica Houston like you can't get much better than that I was thinking about that particularly with Hocus Pocus like last year on Dracula we had someone dress up like Sarah Sanderson and every October you always get a trio of drag queens dressing up like the Sanderson yeah. sisters 
It's iconic. Uh, Stanley, are you a big fan of Hocus Pocus? Oh my gosh. Like it, it, I, I saw Hocus Pocus in theaters when I was six, I, I was seven years old. I had just turned seven years old. And it's, oh, dude, this movie is just magic. Like it is, it is just such magic. I saw it, I live really close to the El Capitan Theater. Um, I live in Hollywood and it's a, a Disney theater and they bring it back every Halloween. And I saw it for the first time in this theater this last Halloween and they had the giant statue of um, Winifred Sanderson um, at, at the end of the film when she gets turned into stone. And they had some artifacts and they have, and I actually have, I wanted, I know that nobody will be able to see this except you guys, but I have the, the spell book. I have That's like an amazing. actual copy of the spell book. Like I'm, I'm a really big fan of this film and it's, it's just so whimsical and it's just so much fun. And it's in, as far as Disney films go, and as far as um, kid-friendly horror films go, it, it's probably in my top 10. Like, I think I know this movie by heart. And I start watching this movie like every in July. Like it's a it's a it's a it's a, a midsummer through the rest of the year film for me, and I I can't get enough of it. And like you said, it is a very good pairing. They're both very different, but they they kind of go hand in hand, and they are um they they're just it's a perfect it's a perfect combination. It's a very perfect combination, and they're. It's just a perfect movie. Like it, 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 like they're both they're both flawed. I suppose they both have like particular flaws. I guess. Um, but it's they're just it's so exciting, and they they have aged so well. They are. They're absolutely timeless, and I feel like for us millennials as well. I mean, these are both '90s films as well, and there's such kind of a love yeah. there. And like you say, I mean, every I think we look at things with rose tinted glasses, and some things have flaws. But I think these films have aged beautifully and as you said you know a lot about horror so please feel free to jump in with any facts or trivia um one of our last episodes where we had drew on i think we had a fact every five seconds about Shaun of the dead <laughs> but it was really fun because <laughs> we get to we get to learn that's what we love about having guests on the podcast as well as you know we learn new stuff about movies that you guys love so yeah let's get into it and start the spooky sleepover with the witches yeah. From the incredible imagination of Jim Henson and director Nicholas Rogue comes a fascinating new fantasy adventure. The Witches. For when a little boy accidentally stumbles into their secret world, he finds they've got a lot more power than he ever imagined. Grandma, it's me, Luke. They turn me into a mouse. Oh, my. Who's the Grand High Witch? Join Luke on his remarkable journey. Bye. Now, the witches are on his tail. Whoa. And he must scurry around their evil plots. Oh. Squeak past every danger. Oh. Finally setting the trap whoa. Whoa. that will save the world from the witches. So the IMBD plot for the witches is as follows. A young boy stumbles onto a witch convention and must stop them, even after he has been turned into a mouse. This film was released in 1990, and as we mentioned already, the cast for the witches includes Angelica Houston, Mai Zetterling, and Jason Fisher. 
This was directed by Nicholas Rogue, whose other work includes The Man Who Fell to Earth. It was written by Alan Scott. And as we already mentioned, this was based on the Roald Dahl book as well. So I just want to start off with you, kind of Lindsay, because this was your first watch of it. As you said already, you were pretty terrified of this film, but is there any other thoughts you had whilst whilst watching it? Because I'm I'm sure you heard of it as a kid as well. Yeah, I'd heard of it loads. And then like obviously I'd seen the kind of unmasked Angelica Houston as the the grand witch but I like it took on something new like seeing it in context of the film I guess one of my other like big thought when I was watching it I was like wow the puppetry is amazing in this like not realizing it was Jim Henson and then I realized it was Jim Henson I was like of course it's amazing because it's Jim Henson but the puppetry is absolutely fantastic in this film it really is. The costuming as well mm. is stunning. Yeah, we're just going to gush about this film for the next little while. I could just tell. But oh, yeah. it's, it's top notch. <laughs> it's so top notch. The production value is is incredible. The fact that they filmed on location for everything is oh, it's just it's so good. It's so good. Oh, is this a film that like you regularly rewatch as well, Stanley? I know you said you watched it when you were really young, but do you still visit I, it? I, I do, I do. And I have read the book as well. And I watched the remake um, when it came out. I'm not a huge fan of the remake uh, for different reasons. I appreciate it, but um, it I, 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 I watch this movie quite often. Like, um, just like Hocus Pocus. It's just, it's, it, it, and I think it's because of the Jim Henson attributions. Like I really love Return to Oz and I really love Labyrinth. And I think that, this movie is like um it's it's like part of that trilogy for me i consider that kind of like a trilogy and they like they also go hand in hand together so between return to oz labyrinth and this they this is like the concluding chapter in those three movies and i think this is one of angelica houston's finest performances like i think her as morticia adams and this are are just they're just dazzling they're just dazzling and i and you know i've seen quite a few drag performances going back to like the drag performances of the hocus pocus characters and it's surprising to me that this is not one you see very often like this is if ever i I don't think i've ever seen a drag performance of eva ernst of the the grand high witch and this is something that someone should be doing like it's (laughs) this is such an over-the-top insane performance and this movie kind of goes under the radar like and like I'm surprised that you you haven't seen this film up until just now like this movie has been out for so long and the, the fact that you've never seen either of these films is 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 beyond is beyond me I'm so happy that you finally have sat down to watch them so good on you good on you that you that you've finally been exposed it's a little bit Ooh. of a running theme on the pod that we, even though me and Lindsay Cole host a horror podcast, there's quite a few of the big movies that we've not seen. We're absolutely I'm so terrible. happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that it's that it's happening, and I'm so happy to be here to to get to talk to you about these two particular films and that you haven't seen them. So this is a real treat for me. Oh well, we're gonna be. We love having you here. So let's get into. Oh, the, good. Let's get into the plot a little bit of the witches. We start off with grandmother Helga, based in Norway. They're on a vacation, and we have eight-year-old Luke. Interestingly enough, because I'm trying to remember like bits of the book versus the film. I think in the book he doesn't have a name like at all. I think he's just the boy. I think he's just the boy. Yeah. Yeah. So we get a bit more of a character here. So um, Luke Evan Evisham. 
um his grandmother is warning him about witches these female demons who incessantly hate children um a little bit relatable next week's episode is going to be interesting because we're talking about kids and horror and how annoying they are (laughs) Um, but we find out a little bit more about witches and um you know if a child is like clean like if Luke has a bath they can smell him more and like these kids smell like rats droppings to them and we'll talk about like the evil eyes and stuff like that really kind of scaring this little kid. Helga tells Luke that unlike ordinary women they have like claw like hands instead of fingernails and then like they wear gloves to hide it bald and they wear wigs that give them rashes square feet with no toes so they hide these by wearing sensible shoes this sounds so uncomfortable I have to give them their shoes it sounds like getting into drag to be honest with the wig yeah and the shoes and everything I I couldn't I couldn't and it's such a genius bedtime story like what a bedtime story for your for your grandchild I love it it really is it kind of I don't know why it's reminded me of um when we covered Troll 2 which is an awful oh, film but there's the bit worst the, it's it, but it's got it's it's so bad it's good a little bit right oh absolutely it's the best worst movie ever made yeah. absolutely <laughs> it's just reminding me of that where it's the stereotypical like it's a grandparent on like a like a rocking chair with a kid in the bed and like telling them this scary story and Helga says that her childhood friend Erica fell victim to a witch and was cursed to spend the rest of her life trapped inside a painting aging gradually until finally disappearing a few years um earlier and we see the painting as well and how she moves this is like oh Stanley you've got all the feels this how do you feel about this scariest <laughs> part it's the sc- this is the scariest part of the yeah. whole film for me like I don't like in watching this yesterday and I don't know why but watching this yesterday this this hit me in an entirely different way just watching watching the father approach the painting and realize that his daughter was stuck in the painting it it really it really just hit me in a different way and I was like oh man like this is this is really really fucking dark and then there's another part like when when the witches are all at the hotel and then they like she she the grand high witch sees the painting and she looks at the painting and then she sees the little girl in the painting and it's like hmm. and then like th- that's like that's what they do like they they trap these little kids in paintings and it's like that's how they that's how they they get these kids like it's not about like it's like they have all these ways of, of killing these kids and like doing doing them in and this is this is how they do it this is their big trick they it's it's so genius how witches get children and it's like you think that they eat them and you think that they're gonna like you know turn them into mice or do something but they trap them in fucking paintings like get out of here like get out that's horrifying that is so deeply horrifying anyway sorry like it it just it was it it scared the shit out of me last night when I was watching it like I, I never really caught it until last night it's so weird it is fucking scary and also seeing just this cold dead stare from this child in the painting that gives me the creeps I mean portrait paintings I don't know it gives me the heebie-jeebies Lindsay were you just as freaked out by this yeah it's so dark when you like think about the fact that she's like what like eight she's trapped in this painting and she lives in the painting until she's an elderly woman completely isolated living in this like 2d world and like i don't really know what her world is like but we'll just say like living in this 2d world completely isolated seeing her family grow up grow old die she can't do anything about it like it's so 
fucking dark and like of all for what being a child like give her 10 years she won't be a child anymore <laughs> like yeah and we don't get to see like we, we don't see like her everyday life we just she just she just changes on a daily basis and we don't get to see that we just she's always just changing positions she's feeding the chickens one day she's looking out the window one day and she's always growing up and then one day she just disappeared and we don't know. Oh, it's just the scariest thing. Like what a terrible way to die. <laughs> it really is. I think sometimes we forget like how traumatic kids films can be. Cause I was speaking to somebody about this yesterday. Cause like one of my favorite kids films is James and the giant peach. Like I love that, oh, but that, that is so traumatic good. as fuck. And like all yeah. dogs go to heaven as well. I love that. It's like trauma and death galore. <laughs> so Luke's parents are killed in a car accident and Helga becomes Luke's legal guardian and they move to England. Whilst playing outside in a treehouse, Luke is approached by a witch trying to lure him with a snake and a chocolate bar. Now this is very creepy. We see the eyes. Lindsay, how do stranger, you feel? Stranger danger. Like <laughs> this is like everything you're taught as a kid. Like if someone, a stranger approaches you with sweeties, do not go with them. And he's doing everything right. He's climbing up that tree, shouting on his granny, but she's not like listening and it's like it is really creepy and I love how she's just like cutting about with a snake in her bag as well like who does that (laughs) and see my ass would have been would have been I would have went right down that tree for that chocolate I would have been Bruno in this movie because I was a very fat child and I was easily seduced by candy so I would have been kidnapped by these witches immediately and but I would not have gone for the snake like no. the snake is where I would have drawn a line. I would have been like, no, no, no. But like, I don't think the purple eyes would have necessarily scared me as a kid. I would have been like, all right. But the chocolate for sure. And I'm like, let's go. Give me that <laughs> chocolate. But the, the snake would have been a red flag for me for sure. But oh man, what a, what a good way to introduce the witches in this film is having that really classy kind of fancy nameless woman just approach out of thin air and just start handing out what a little boy would possibly like. Little boys love snakes, she says, you know, like, oh, here. And then, oh, and she's like kiss, kissing the snake and like flicking her tongue out of the snake. It's really seductive and gross and weird. And it feels very wrong, like for a kid's movie, like that whole scene feels very wrong. And like through the the rest of the movie, like all, the way that the witches treat the little, the, that little boy before he is turned, it's just, it feels very wrong. Like it, it doesn't feel like something we should be watching. I, think I see what you mean there. It, 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 it feels a little bit like, it makes you feel uncomfortable to, to for watch sure. it. I remember as well from this scene when she's looking him dead in the eyes and it's just like, she can't hear you because he's shouting, grandma, grandma, that is creepy she can't hear you oh god yeah it's gross and her outfit is I have to say her outfit is amazing I love all the outfits in this film but that just oh the costuming is so good they're all dressed really really well like they're dressed very glamorous very glamorous it's a drag convention it literally is (laughs) it is a drag convention for sure after this um it's Luke's ninth birthday and Helga falls ill with diabetes. I feel so bloody sorry for her because she just wants some cake. She just wants sweeties and chocolate and she can't have it. (laughs) Her doctor advises that they spend the summer by the sea. So they're at a seaside hotel in Bournemouth. Luke meets and befriends 
Bruno Jenkins. Now, I love oh, Bruno. Yeah. Bless his little soul. Stanley, what do you think of him? This is my <laughs> alter ego, man. Like, that is, like, and I think that out of all of the characters in this movie, like, especially as a child, like, I really related to Bruno because I, again, I was a very, I was a, a, a little, a rather large child and I just wanted I just wanted to be left alone by my parents and I just wanted to eat and I you know like and I would have just taken any any attention from any adult especially if they gave me candy and uh, I I just, he's so funny he's such a funny little kid I just love that he just won't shut up either he just talks to anybody who will talk to him and he's just nibbling on everything that I, he's easily the most relatable character in the movie I just love that he's got no filter like when he's speaking yeah. to Luke for the first time he's like my dad has a lot of money but he's really tight and it's just like you've literally just met this boy while you're talking about yeah him. we've got three cars yeah. <laughs> I was pissing myself with laughter at that just so nonchalantly about it <laughs> <laughs> no I, I I love him I related to that as well as a kid I'd rather be inside with the adults munching away on some sweeties or chocolate and um yeah he he's like the the, the comedic relief that you need in this film because it is quite like it's a lot of tension especially for a young kid so Luke unintentionally antagonizes the hotel manager Mr. Stringer after his pet mice frighten his his girlfriend who's one of the maids now, what do we think of having Rowan Atkinson in this? Because I don't know if like Mr. Bean was is or is or was a big thing in the States, but I remember growing up with Mr. Bean. So when I saw Rowan Atkinson in this, I was like, oh my God. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with Mr. Bean as a child when I saw this movie. So I had no idea. But growing up, I I became familiar with Mr. Bean. So as a kid, I I I had no clue. But now as an adult, like I, I love Mr. Bean and I love the I love his comedy and I love that character. But um, it, it, it doesn't take me out of it. And I think that I, I can definitely differentiate the two and I can differentiate Rowan Atkinson as an actor and, and that character. But I think his performance in this is it's, it's very downplayed and it's very, it's, it's very funny. It's, it's definitely more mellow than anything else I've seen him in. Just think of him in that and then also in um, Love Actually as well. When he's I, I was going to say necklace. that as well. He has <laughs> yeah. the smallest part in Love Actually, which is another one of my favorite films. And um, and I it, 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 that's that's more Mr. Beanie, I think, than any other role that I've ever seen him in that's not Mr. Bean. And again, that part is so small and so and so so underplayed, and it's 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 hilarious. I love love actually. Yeah, like it can be hard sometimes, like in the UK, to differentiate like Mr. Bean and Ron Atkinson because every time I see him, I'm just like, oh, Mr. Bean, and then I'm like, he has a real name. <laughs> I remember that second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not his real name, but no, like I like him in this. Like him, I like him when he's like playing the annoyed kind of managerial kind of character like he's quite similar uh, as Zazu in The Lion King as well he's just yes. perpetually pissed off and annoyed at this small child and um, it's inconveniencing him so um yeah I quite I quite liked him in this yeah after this uh the scene we have the start of the convention of witches who are masquerading as the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children it's so ironic <laughs> 
I love it. It's so good. It's so good. And then this scene as well is they're kind of com- coming in, coming into the coming into the hotel. We are introduced to our Grand High Witch, the all-powerful mm. leader of the witches, which is Eva Ernst, played by Angelica Houston. Now, I love Angelica Houston anyway, but just as an adult, I was just like, I have a crush on her now as an adult, and I'm just like, she's wow. amazing in this. What do you guys think? This is like a this is like a powerhouse performance. Like from the accent to the pounds of makeup that she has to wear. I mean, like the prosthetics that she wears in this is like, I, I read that she, it, it took six hours to put on. It took six hours to take off. Like she was like passing out under all the lights. Like this is, this is like an award worthy performance that's, that I, it, it's just so insane to me that this movie was not, it, it just hasn't been seen more than it just, it hasn't gotten the recognition that it deserved. Like, I know it has like a little bit of a cult status today, but the fact that it just went under the radar for so long is, is just beyond me. I just don't get it. I really don't get it. And I, I wish that we had a whole movie of just her in all this makeup and without the mask on because seeing her remove remove her her face and go into this entirely monstrous character it's fucking bonkers like it is nightmare fuel and the entire movie takes a a fucking left turn and it is a straight-up horror movie from this point forward like it's already like a creepy movie like from the beginning until this point but it is a straight-up horror film from here on out and it, it, it 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 it's it's so uncomfortable and it's so scary and it's still over the top and campy and kind of like got like that dark humor, but I don't know what it would be like without her. Like I know I read that like Cher was considered for the part and that, that there was other actresses that were wow. considered for this part, but like it, I don't think it would have worked without Angelica Houston. Like I, I don't think it would have worked. She just gives like, she gives 150% and it's, it's off the rails, man. Even the way she walks into the room and her body language, it's just, she really commits to it. And as you said, fair play to her because the amount of prosthetics that she has on and like even now I mean this film what 1990s so this is over 20 years old these prosthetics are still top fucking notch like even today like this is some of the best prosthetics I've seen in a horror movie in my personal opinion when it comes to witches like and Lindsay I know you're a massive fan of like special effects and makeup and prosthetics were you just dying when you saw this yeah pretty much like as everything starts to come off like she looks grotesque and it's absolutely fantastic and there's so many details like the hump on her back and there's like hairs on her chin and and stuff like that like whoever created it like really thought through how they wanted this witch to look and it's so interesting as well because like when she's got her mask on as Eva she is so sexy which is another reason why I'm so confused like a drag queen hasn't really done an interpretation of this yet yeah but she's so sexy like so charismatic like Bruno's dad is totally taken in by her and you know just want to do everything that she does really and then the switch to this like absolutely grotesque like scariest looking witch that's ever been put to film I just think it's amazing it It makes you wonder what the other witches look like because you don't get to see what any of the other witches look like without like without their faces on like she can't Mm. be the only one that has a different form like what do these other women 
witch creatures look like behind their faces. And I don't know if they didn't have the money or if it just did, it wasn't part of like the actual script, but like there, there's like an army of these, of these creatures and she can't be the only one that looks like this insane, <laughs> insane monster. So I'm, I'm really curious to, to, to just know what they all look like under all of this. Like, cause if, if that's what the, the main grand high monstrous witch looks like, then whoo. I know like you do you don't really get to see much even because there's such big crowds of them you don't really get to see long shots of all the other witches so it adds a bit of mystery to it and I like that we don't know too much about them and we don't know too much about the Grand High Witch we don't know how old Eva is we don't know all this kind of backstory and I remember reading the book as well and here like it's been a long time since I've read the book but reading about the face peeling scene like the whole I mean to hear that in like a, ki- a children's novel it's really creepy um oh, yeah I think people forget that and yeah like if anyone's listening that's a drag performer please like recreate this because I don't know why you wouldn't it's absolutely amazing yeah. so we are kind of already talked about it but this next scene which I think I don't know if it's the same for you guys it it's my favorite scene I think it's the standout scene when Luke hides in the ballroom and spies on the witches and like you know they're locking the door they're trying to get um the hotel manager out and everything like that locked and bolted yes and then like the wigs <laughs> so are com- the wigs are coming off the shoes are coming off that must feel so comfy get everything off get everything out and then Eva unveils her latest creation uh, which is a magic potion to turn all the world's children into mice, which will be used in uh, sweet shops and candy shops to be purchased by using money provided by Eva, which I think is really smart, actually, because as we said, I mean, the stereotype of witches is kids come to my cottage and I'll turn you into mice, but like to make like a profiting scheme kind of like that and with the paintings as well I think it's like it's it's different you know what I mean it's not like a stereotypical witch story oh it's old school they're advancing so yeah. like this was like <laughs> the old way the paintings are like all right and now like we're advancing into we have money now we're figuring things out and so we're going to take over the world in a quicker in a in, in a quicker way in a way that we're not going to get caught and it's it's very it's genius like she's got she's got the plan and this is this is this is how we're going to do it. And we can't question her because we know what's we know what's going to happen when she gets questioned. So yes. it's just brilliant. And we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> um, so Eva mentions about Bruno. Also about the, the potion, there's um, different things will happen if you give different doses. So I think it takes a certain amount of time if you give the child one dose to turn into a mice and then over five doses, it's like a couple seconds or something if it's over 500 doses it's like immediately that the, the transformation will happen so she gets Bruno to come back into the room because he's been promised all these chocolates now if I walked into a room and it was just all these women just turning around and staring at me I'd be walking backwards but Bruno he's a brave little soul he's not bothered he's just walking up for he his just, chocolate he just wants his, his chocolate. eyes on the prize <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's like he's walking through and they're all like chocolate I'm coming for you <laughs> that woman promised me five bars of whatever oh god he's insane what an insane little boy <laughs> he gets forced to drink the potion and turns into a mouse so what do we think of this transformation scene as well because like oh. 
it's creepy in itself and all isn't it it's it's one for the books like this this transformation scene is it's it's scary it's scary the uh, the, the effects used are all practical and um i mean just like the green and purple smoke and like just like the, the the way that he his ears pop out and the whiskers and like his facial transformation it's you know there's like a werewolf transformation that you see in like an american werewolf in london and in ginger snaps and like in like yeah. werewolf films and those are those are one thing but to see someone get turned into a mouse is an entirely different story then when they all they, they they all try to like stomp on him like oh god like it's 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 a very scary thing oh i don't i don't think they try to stomp on him i think they try to stomp on luke but it, it it, oh it's it's gross man it's it's a very it's a very scary thing to see a little boy get turned into a mouse i love the like juxtaposition as well because later when we have um luke turn into a mouse as well like i love little rodents i think they look so stinking cute as too? little as little mice so to see them adorable like that but then the transformation so brutal and gross i think it's really interesting Lindsay, what do you think of this transformation it's like excruciating detail seeing them go from boy to mouse because like in a lot of other films it probably camera would have just cut away we maybe would have got a shadow cgi shadow but we see everything the effects are absolutely fantastic really bloody scary watching them go from boy to mouse and the sound effects too like the the squeaking and like the the, the way their body shakes and stuff oh i have to get squeamish i have to give um the actor that played bruno a nod there because especially as a little kid that's like really good uh charlie potter i was just looking there because yeah i mean the convulsing and everything it's it's brilliant it's brilliant luke has discovered so he's been hiding this whole time and they find him and he runs straight to his grandmother's room but finds her resting after having a diabetes induced dizzy spell the witches sees luke in the room and they take him back to the ballroom where he's forced to drink the potion and he's also turned into a mouse before escaping and this is where we get the stomping scene and that is really oh. creepy as well just oh anxiety because you're in the pants you're inside the pants the camera is in the pants with with them with luke as a mouse and you see all the heels just like stomping on different sections of the pants and uh, oh it's 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 so scary and at this point they're all just back to regular women they have their hair back on they have their shoes on and it's just a bunch of maniacal women just going fucking nuts trying to kill this little boy now like they're out to just kill this little boy and like you have her you have angelica houston back with her normal face on just going get him get Get him him. (laughs) this whole thing is just very horrific and then would they go to the beach at that point and that part is very scary too when he's running running around the the shoreline and hiding hiding on the rocks and they're all and you don't know who's a witch at that point like every woman at that point could possibly be a witch and he doesn't know i love those scenes as well it's so anxiety inducing and little details like that like the pov shots like in the pants and stuff like you're a little mouse yourself it gives you a lot of anxiety and claustrophobia yeah like in this scene and then there's a scene a little bit later on when they're running through the hotel foyer and my heart was just in my throat I'm like they're gonna get stamped on because you just know it'll be so gruesome as well I mean later on we realize they get stamped on and it's just green rather than like actual mouse blood and guts but yeah I couldn't cope I didn't want these poor mice to die (laughs) 
It's like Stuart Little, but the horror movie version. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. <laughs> After these other scenes, uh, Luke eventually finds Bruno and reunites with Helga, who is uh, since recovered. And Luke devises a plan to defeat the witches by sneaking into Eva's room to steal a bottle of the potion and then sneaking into the kitchen and putting it into the soup for their special RSPCC party. Luke and Helga try to get Bruno to his parents, but they don't believe her story and are frightened by the mouse, which, I mean, fair play. If somebody came up to me and was like, your child is now a mouse and there's all these witches, I probably would call bullshit as well. Would you guys? <laughs> yeah. More than likely. I More than how, likely. I love how Bruno is just like his dad, though. His dad just speaks an absolute power of shite all the time. <laughs> He's just like constantly like chatting away about nothing really just so that he could like talk to people and like Bruno's exactly the same. It's definitely a neurodivergent I, family. Sorry, Stanley, are you going? No, I just, I was, it's just, to, it's off topic. But I just love it when he goes off the rant about the soup. When he's yes. like, I don't, I don't want the soup. I don't want the cockaliki soup. I want the crest. Give me the crest soup. Then he just goes on the big tangent about how he doesn't want the, the normal civilian soup and he wants the special soup. And it's like a fucking five minute like rant. <laughs> like, I just laugh my ass off every single time. Sorry, that's it. No, he, he <laughs> goes like it. he goes like full carrot. It's almost like a child was like, they have yeah. that and I want that. <laughs> he he does eventually order the soup because he's like, uh, excuse me, I want that crest soup. Um, though Helga <laughs> stops him from consuming it. Jenkins finally realized that Bruno's a mouse when he speaks up. Now, like I said, I think these little two as mice are so cute and because it's like the practical effects as well I mean they almost look like the Sylvanian families those little toys that you had as a kid Stanley what do you think of these practical effects of the little mice and like the puppeteering and all this kind of stuff because I think it's a really nice touch I mean I I think they they work really well and and like I said earlier, everything in this movie has, I mean, this movie came out in 90. I think it was even shot in 88 or 89. I think it was shelved for like a year for some weird issue between Roald Dahl and the director. There was like a year a year length of shelving. Um, so between the time that it was shot and the time that it got released and now, like I, I the effects aged very well and for everything being practical. And like I had also mentioned earlier, the remake did everything CGI. There's not one practical effect in the remake. And while that movie has a couple of strengths, it like it, it has nothing on the original. And it's because of the effects. The effects in this movie are, are just spectacular. And the mouse effects in particular, even when they can come off a little a little fakey, like when when you can tell that they're a little they're a little fakey, it doesn't take you out of it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take you out of it. The puppeteering in this movie is just, it's so good. Like every, like, you know what kind of movie you're watching. And I think that also kind of adds to it. Like the, every, every, it, it's, it's just good. The, 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 the effects are good to answer your question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after this, the witches enter the banquet um and see all this talk about soup I'm just thinking of the good soup meme I know it's a couple months old now but it's like good soup (laughs) when they're in the kitchen and stuff like that (laughs) Um, Miss Susan Irvine Eva's long-suffering and mistreated assistant quits upon being banned from the celebration and the formula 
as they're all eating it, turns all the witches into mice and the staff and the hotel guests join in killing them unknowingly ridding England of its witches. And this seems very creepy as well as they're all turning into mice and it's all a little bit chaotic. Like, Lindsay, what do you think of this scene? Yeah, I love it because it's like them getting a a taste of their own medicine, really. Like they were quite happy to turn Bruno and Luke into little mice and then just stamp on them and then seeing them all collectively freak out as they realize what's happening i also love um like eva's like hairless mouse that she turns into because the prosthetics of her without her face on are so good and i understand why we don't see a lot of that because obviously it was quite hard on angelica houston but i love that we get this mouse version of it later on i also love slightly before that in the kitchen when luke and bruno are like running around and everybody is just going crazy it's going like they're going up the trouser legs and everything i just think that's so funny it's so good just seeing all the anxiety from these adults it's just it makes me giggle. Like it's his tail, but his tail cut off. Yeah. So amidst all this chaos, um, Helga spots the transform transformed Eva, as we mentioned, this bald wee rat, uh, traps her under a water jug before pointing her out to our hotel manager, Mr. Stringer, who chops her in two with a meat cleaver. So savage. Stanley, what did you think of this? It broke my little heart. I know she's the antagonist of this film, but I just don't like to see her get chopped into. She ends up being so cute. Like when she's like that little bucktooth rat creature, like she ends up being the cutest little thing. It, I, I don't know. I would have liked a sequel, to be honest with you. So I would have really, I would have preferred that that the little rat version of her got away somehow and we would have gotten more of her because she's she's the most fun character um and i would have i just would have liked to have more of her but it watching her get it with and then getting that splat across across his face that little green splat and her voice her high-pitched voice she's like i'll come back for you like it's so over the top and it's interesting because we'll talk about the ending in a minute and the ending in the movie oh, yeah. is different to the book and there's quite a lot it of definitely drama behind that all but yeah I would have loved the sequel as well I've not seen the the remake I've been kind of avoiding it kind of like you're a, not missing anything no, I won't watch it it's kind of like a, <laughs> I, lo- I love Cruella de Vil and like 101 Dalmatians and I've not seen the new one of that either because I just I love Emma Stone but I can't see her as Cruella de Vil you know what I mean? You're not missing much either. Like, I, again, <laughs> I agree with you on that. Like, I really like her. I like the whole story. But, like, I, I, it's hard to get behind these weird Disney reboots that, like, are giving all these, these backgrounds to characters. Like, just leave them be. Let them be the villains that they are. Like, we don't need, like, all this motivation and all this weird traumatic childhood stuff. Like, we just let it be. Let it be. Let Corella DeVille be an evil bitch who skims puppies. Like, it's fine. Let it let it, let it be. We don't need to know why it happened. And it's okay. Like, it, Cruella was not a good movie, to be honest with you. I didn't I didn't love it. I love her. I love Emma Thompson. It just, Disney, Disney needs to chill. Like, they really need yeah. to chill out. <laughs> we, me and Lindsay have spoken a couple times. Like, we don't get enough like um female villains in horror and this includes kid-friendly horror and they're just villains for the sake of it like tiffany and chucky you know she's just a badass love her her. iconic we don't get enough of that you know most of the big franchises our antagonists our villains are men so it's it's nice to just like the grand witch 
we don't know too much about her and she's just evil for the sake of being evil. Uh, Helga returns Bruno to his bewildered parents. They're reunited again. Uh, Luke and Helga return home to where Eva's trunk full of money that she had previously and an address book of all the witches in the US is delivered, allowing them to plan an operation to wipe out all the witches in America. Um, that night, uh, Miss Irvine, who's now a good witch, drives Luke and Helga home and returns Luke to his human form as well as he has his pet mice as well. We met when he was a little mouse as well when he was going about and he has his glasses. She leaves to pay Bruno a visit and Luke and Helga wave goodbye. So it's it's very much like wrapped in a little Red Bull kind of ending. It's a very happy ending. Now, in comparison to the book, um, so the book ends where... Um, Luke is Luke is still a mouse and they're kind of, it's kind of similar in the sense that they you know they're planning to wipe out the witches but it doesn't have this happy ending you know he's he still needs to be transformed so I don't know what what ending do you two prefer do you like this happy ending or would you like to maybe seen him still stay a mouse I like ominous dread um I <laughs> I like I, I just I'm just one of those I don't know I had a chaotic childhood so I would have I would have just preferred just having him just stay a mouse and hang out in that awesome setup that he had I mean like he had a Ghostbuster house that he was sleeping in and he had that cool like train thing that he was riding on around like the ceiling and I think that it just I I, I prefer the book ending I yeah. did prefer the book ending and it just left for you know, I, it just left for better wonder, I think. And, uh, you know, we always don't, we don't need a happy ending all the time. No. And, uh, and I think that Roald Dahl was right to, to kind of campaign for what he had originally wrote. And that's kind of like the problem with novel versus cinema sometimes is that as a writer, when you sell the rights to your work, you, you're, you're not always going to get what you, what you originally wrote you know, it's, it, it's unfortunate. And it's the same thing with the, with the remake. I think, I don't think that, I think they kind of went the same route. I think that oh. they, they did pretty much the same thing. I think, I don't even remember to be honest with you. I think I blocked out a good portion of it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I prefer, I prefer the book. I mean, I, I still like the movie and I still like the effects that they use. And I love, I love the transformation scene when he does get turned back into a human. Um, but it is a little too glittery for me. It's, it's a little too happy. It's a, the, the whole tone of the movie just kind of changes and it goes from being like a dark, dark horror film ish, like a dark horror kids film to like just a happy, bright, but I love the music. I love the music at the very end of the film. Like I love the, I love the way that the, the music kind of wraps it up. So I do like that. But the end of the movie does kind of like leave it on a weird, a weird different tone than the whole film. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's very, it's a very stark difference from, you know, if we look at that first ballroom scene with the face peeling to, to this, this waving goodbye at the end, as, as good as the score is, the score that this whole film is great. It just tonally, it, it is pretty much like a 180. I thought the ending was like fine, um, but I, I hadn't read the book either. So like, I wasn't really expecting him to be turned back into human because like I know what you are saying about like oh we don't always need a happy ending but he does seem so genuinely happy as a mouse living like living in his little ghostbusters house and having his train and just being with his granny and I was just like he is, ha he is happy like that though and as well like when Susan comes back we've never at any point in the film been told that there's such a thing as a good witch so the fact that just one 
just appears for the last like minute of the film. It's just weird because there's no precedent for it. Yeah, and that could have also played into a sequel where we could have maybe had some good witches rising and it's good witches versus bad witches. Maybe a good witch version of the Grand High Witch, you know, um, a rival to Angelica Houston. I would love to have seen that. Um, Yeah, it would have been kind of cool to see how a good witch could have like helped helped Luke and his grandmother kind of go off and rid the world of like the bad witches and like see like the difference between the good witches and the bad witches and it would have been interesting I agree with that so we'll get into some trivia and if there's anything else you guys want to mention about this film please feel free to but there's a couple things that was thought was quite interesting and some of it we've already mentioned um, but one of the things was Roald Dahl, after Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, um, he was very much like, I'm never going to request a specific person to play a part from my book ever again. Um, but apparently he was absolutely ecstatic when Angelica Houston was cast for The Grand High Witch because she was Roald Dahl's personal favourite for, for going on to the film. So they actually did film both endings. So they filmed the book ending and then they filmed the, the happy ending that we saw. Um, they did do a test screening because Roald Dahl, kind of as you already mentioned there, Stanley, a little bit, he was severely pissed off at the producers, appalled. He said uh, the ending was vulgar and bad taste and actual terror <laughs> at some points. Uh, he demanded like his name get taken off it, his like the title to be changed, but he received an apologetic letter from Jim Henson and then he like withdrew his threat and like you say I think it was a year of kind of going back and forth till it actually got released it's a shame as well because Bill Dow's a bit of a controversial person but yeah it's a shame because this is the last adaptation of one of his books that came out before he died and it was ended up being such a kind of stressful and horrible process like it should have really been a bit more of a celebrated thing but yeah the director's an asshole though did he not basically just say oh I I like my version better, so I'm going to do it. Pretty much. (laughs) During the production, um, Rowan Atkinson apparently caused a little bit of uh, an issue. He went to bed with the bath taps on running in his room, causing a leak which damaged the crew's electrical equipment on the floor below. That sounds like Mr. Bean energy. very accurate, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Funnily enough, in the UK... um, when the film originally came out so it could get a PG rating they cut out two scenes two really important scenes the beginning shot of the skin getting taken off and the last shot of Bruno transforming into a mouse which is such a shame I mean I get it for PG but it's such an important part of the film I'm a bit gutted that that got cut have you seen Multiverse of Madness it's out the now and it's like a PG and I've I'm not like, seen it like, yet. Oh my god, it's like it's Sam Raimi and it goes harder and it can be put pretty gruesome at points. And it's just like this got banned. What the hell? I do, I do need to see that though. Have you seen that film yet, Stanley? Because I feel like everyone's talking about the multiverse. I haven't, but I love Sam Raimi. But I, you know, I'm I'm terrible. I haven't seen one of these Marvel movies, or is that DC? I see. I don't even know. Like I, I, I'm, I'm not. I, I haven't seen one of these superhero movies. I'm the fucking worst. But I, I do love Sam Raimi. And I have heard such good things about this film. But I didn't know it was PG. It's PG. That's, so that's funny to me. Because I love Drag Me to Hell. And that movie, was that a PG-13? 
I think so. I think Drag Me to Hell was PG-13, and that movie is beyond me because that movie is fucking terrifying, and there's no reason that movie should be PG-13. That movie should be a hard R, <laughs> and uh, the fact that it is PG-13 is just hilarious to me. But even even The Witches, the fact that it's PG to me is is a little is a little strange to me because it's it it is kid friendly to a degree but there are some scenes in this movie even i'm sorry i want to know what they cut i want to know what they cut because there are some there are some scenes even in this version that are really nightmare inducing i remember seeing it as a kid and having nightmares and even watching it now like i'm like whoo like i i get a little shivery i totally get that and i have to say as well i'm very happy there's someone else in this podcast that isn't a marvel in dc stand because i know nothing about them and Lindsay, bless your heart you love Zero. marvel and i've seen <laughs> loads of them but there was a part of me that was like so jealous Sam, when you said I've not seen any of them it's like part of me is like I wish I could escape this thing that I got myself into <laughs> 10 years ago and now I'm like so far deep now I just have to keep going I know so many people who are like oh like Captain America meets the the Red Witch Winter Soldier Iron and I'm just like wait like so what what number are we on see like i'm like i'm the asshole who can tell you every single thing about children of the corn one through ten the remakes like i i know everything there is to know about a nightmare on elm street i know everything there is to know about the blair witch project too like come on like i i i have really obscure obsessions and like i know a lot about some pretty pretty i don't want to say silly stuff because to each their own so good on you and I love that but I just I don't I but here's the thing too the moment I see one is it's like eating Cheetos I fucking hate Cheetos but the moment I eat one I can't fucking stop eating them and <laughs> I hate them but the moment I eat them I just the whole bag's gone you know what I mean so I know the moment I see a fucking Marvel movie I probably will binge watch all of them and I'll probably really like them don't we'll start it. Don't start it. Consume <laughs> your whole life. I'll get that's, sucked in. That's <laughs> what I'm saying as well. Um, just one last bit of trivia, unless there's anything anybody wants to bring up, as we mentioned already before. Um, it took Angelica Houston about six hours to get into her prosthetics and six hours to get out. I think it's quite interesting. So the Grand High Witch uses a Louis Vuitton truck to store her money, which iconic to start off oh, with. I didn't even notice that. I didn't even clock that either, but apparently at the time that truck was worth 45 grand. So I mean now that'd be shit tons of money, but I didn't clock the the wow. Louis Vuitton truck. Uh, oh, it's the trunk. Yeah, the trunk's Louis Vuitton. So it's like I had yeah. no clue. I have to go back on that one. That's hilarious. It's so funny. I don't do you guys think that Angelica Houston looks any different from this movie to Morticia, which was filmed literally a year later, because I think that she looks entirely different from this movie to the Adams family. I don't think she looks any like I don't even think she looks like the same person. No, she does look totally different. There's a lot of like tapes and stuff under her wig involved to kind of like change the structure of her face slightly. And she's like yeah. corseted as Morticia as well, which kind of affects the way she walks. So she has that sexy little saunter that she does. So yeah, like total chameleon from one film it's to the other. Very bizarre to me. Like and it, the fact that they came out like literally with like a year or like a year and a half of each other. Like I just feel like she looks like a completely different person like not even the same actress and I've always wanted to say that to somebody but I just don't know anybody who wants to talk about this movie with me so thank you <laughs> no, I, I completely agree as well it's just like night and day difference and that's not easy that's not easy to do 
but we'll get on to box office. This film had an $11 million budget, which, I mean, considering like 1990, that would be, what, maybe 20 now? Well, this is very vague calculations, but a pretty hefty budget. But it didn't actually gross that much. It grossed $15.3 million at the box office. It, wasn't, it didn't earn all that much back, yeah. No, I mean, it made a profit, like they made their money back, but criminally underrated, I would say. I mean, because a lot of these movies didn't do well. Like, Labyrinth didn't do well either. And Return to Oz didn't do well either. Like, The Dark Crystal. Like, these movies, these Jen Henson movies, I I just, if maybe if they came out at a different time, they would have done better. But these movies just didn't fare well at the box office. Like, they they were aimed at a particular audience. And I don't think that audience existed until a much later time. One thing I hope for The Witches is, like, so... It's not on, I think it's on Prime, but it's not on many streaming services, at least in the UK. And I know like during Halloween on Netflix, like Hocus Pocus is always on the front page of the Discovery page. It's like the witches deserves to be there as well. I don't know if you agree, Lindsay, but I I don't see the witches on anything. Like even, it was kind of hard to find, which is a shame. Sorry, I thought I clicked it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I ended up having to like pay to rent it and not a lot of people are going to do that. I know... Amazon was saying that it's going to be on Prime in like a week and a half but yeah it's never anywhere and I think it's a shame because I mean it should be in amongst all those other kid films that you watch like Frank and Weenie Mm -hmm. and Hotel Transylvania and it should be in that list amongst all those other kinds of films on whatever streaming service but it's very rarely on streaming and it's, it's a shame because it's like a total gem of a movie. Mm. We'll get on to ratings. So IMBD gave The Witches 6.8 out of 10. Quite harsh, in my opinion. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it 93%. So they really liked it, which is good to see. Yes! Um, the audience gave it 70 and then Metacritic gave it 78%. But I don't care what the critics have to say. I care what you folks have to say. So I'm going to start off with you, our guest, Stanley. So what are you going to give The Witches out of 10? Oh, God. You know, such a weird taste in movies. And I usually am, like, criticized by all my friends for giving, like, the dumbest movies, like, the highest scores. But I I literally love everything about this movie. Like, I would I would give this a 10 out of 10. Like, I... I I, I hold this movie to a really high standard. I really do. And I think it's scary. I think it's fun. I think it's got some really great performances. I think it's one of Angelica Houston's top performances. I know she won an Academy Award for Pixie's Honor, but I think that she should have been nominated for an Academy Award for this. And I, I am 100% serious when I say that. Um, I think that everything about this movie is perfect. Like it's, it's it just, it's a perfect film. The locations are amazing. The music is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. And the effects are so good. Like the practical effect, you don't see practical effects like this in any movie before then, since then, at, like after, like it's everything about this movie is just, it's, it's cinematic gold. Lindsay, what are you going to give The Witches out of 10? I really enjoyed this film. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Like we've said the whole episode, everything about it is so good. The performances, the special effects as well. Like it's a good horror film like for, I was going to say it's a good horror film for kids. Like if you're just like, oh God, I don't know what to put on for my my sprogs, my crotch goblins. like put this on because you will genuinely enjoy it. You're totally, totally right. I agree with both of you. I think like, 
it's criminal that this film hasn't had more accolades and awards not even just for the cast but also the costuming the score and the effects like that's oscar worthy in my opinion you know but i am going to give the witches an eight and a half out of ten i love this film i think it's so criminally underrated and um you know if you haven't watched it yet you should because even though it's seen as a kid-friendly horror i mean horror films are for everyone and kid-friendly horror films can be enjoyed by everyone as well so you haven't seen this and you like especially campy horror as well this is a perfect film for pride month get it watched oh yes absolutely we are now going to be moving on to the second portion of the spooky sleepover we are going to be talking about hocus pocus so i'm going to take it over to Lindsay. the bones and then the back. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts Witches! Thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. Uh, We shall be back! 300 years later, it's Halloween Eve and they're back. Uh We are home! Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? We're talking about three-engine hags versus the 20th century. How bad can it be? Now they're digging up old friends. We got And running amok. Looking for the one thing they miss most. You stay for supper. I'm not hungry. But we are. Only one boy has the power to stop them. Prepare to die again. You have no powers here, you fool. Before all Salem falls under their spell. Walt Disney Pictures presents Bette Midler. Hello. Sarah Jessica Parker. Would thou dance with me? And Kathy Najimi. Hocus Pocus. Into the night! They love to fly. And it shows. Good night. Sleep tight. No screaming. So the IMDb plot for Hocus Pocus is a curious teenager moves to Salem where he struggles to fit in before awakening a trio of diabolical witches that were executed in the 17th century. This film came out in 1993, stars Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy. It was directed by Kenny Ortega, who is just so entrenched in Disney, um, worked on the High School Musical trilogy and the Descendants trilogy, um, was written by Neil Cuthbertson and based on a story by David Kirshner and Mike Garris. So you said that you watched this in the cinema, didn't you? I did. <laughs> oh, gosh. And so I've been obsessed with witches since The Wizard of Oz. Like, The Wizard of Oz was probably the first movie that I, I saw as the, that I can remember seeing. And I remember seeing a trailer for Hocus Pocus on television when I, I mean, I mean, I was probably six, six and a half years old. 
And I, I, it was a Disney film. And my mom was very, very weird about what kind of movies I watched as a kid, especially after seeing Pet Cemetery with my stepdad. She, I had nightmares and I was in therapy because of it. It was a very big deal. And um, so when she saw that it was about witches, but she saw that it was a Disney film, she was like, okay, like, this is fine. So she took me to go see this. And my life has really never been the same since, since then. Like this movie had an enormous impact on me. Um, and since then, I've had a very insane fascination with Bette Midler, and I've had an insane fascination with, like, um, movie musicals, and I know this isn't necessarily a movie musical, but this sparked a really huge interest for musicals, and, um, um, the Salem Witch Trials, and the Salem in general, and, um, just history, and, uh, um, it, it really just, it, it really had an impact on my life. So yeah, I saw this in theaters. <laughs> Lucy, do you remember the first time you watched Hocus Pocus? I'm trying to remember, because this came out in 93, so... Mm-hmm. I don't I was, think you would have even been born yet, Lucy. I wasn't, no. <laughs> oh, you're a baby! I oh. wish. I turned 28 this year. Definitely no a baby. <laughs> Oh, I love it. You're a baby. Oh, thank you. Um, but no, I think I saw this maybe I was I was young. I think I was maybe like five or six, because my mum also fucking loves Bette Midler. And my mum loves Hocus Pocus as well. Um, and my mum's not like a massive like horror fan, but well, she has in recent years actually. She's become an Ari Aster fan. We love to see that. Um, but like oh, I, I love it like I I love this film so much it's one of the first horror films I probably have ever seen and it's kind of it's one of those comfort films for me as well if I just want to like if I'm having a shitty day and I need a blanket and some popcorn and just to feel good like this is one of those films I watch and I'm also like a big fan of musicals and I know this isn't a musical film but I totally get what you mean there Stanley because the, the musical scene that we have in this put a spell on you it's just it's it's so <laughs> iconic so like I said at the start I only saw this film for the first time last year I think I was getting like bullied online basically for having not seen it so it's like at last Halloween I went through my Disney plus I just watched loads of like kiddie films last Halloween because that's what I was in the mood for and I watched this because I hadn't seen it before it was on Disney plus and I just thought it was so much fun and I thought that again today when I was watching it earlier but one of the things that like really hit me the most today is just how much there are like three witches like how much the actresses just completely embody those roles like you watch Sarah Jessica Parker in the background and she's just like munching on a spider or something completely not breaking (laughs) character and it's so funny and they're all so brilliant and I kind of for whatever reason like honed in on Sarah Jessica Parker because I always think of her as a very like serious fashion person and she's so stupid in this film <laughs> and I just think it's brilliant and they all commit so hard which I think is like part of the charm of it. I was just thinking there as well because you and me and Sophie are going to a horror convention in a couple months we could do the Sanderson sisters. <laughs> oh my god who's gonna be who though? Lizzie? <laughs> we'll have to just pick out of a hat so it's diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be happy to be any of them the three of them are iconic like I'll be any of the sisters okay. it's funny you mention a horror convention because I'm going to one called Monster Palooza on Friday to oh, promote wow. my YouTube channel yeah and Vanessa Shaw and Omri Katz are going to be there for Hocus Pocus and no. so that's another thing yeah so the fact that you guys had picked this film 
And I am like, and you have to pay money, obviously, to like get pictures and get autographs and stuff. But I'm taking this fucking book. Yes. Absolutely. And I'm really stoked. And so when you guys mentioned the other day that you were going to cover this movie to match with the witches, like I like almost had a fucking heart attack because I was like, what are the odds? <laughs> what are the odds? So this is, this is huge. I can't wait to see I the photos this. from the I convention. Know. I hope oh, you have the best time. I can't time. wait either. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. And I'm going to talk about this too. Like I'm going to, I'm going to mention this. So this is going to be great. Let's get into this plot. So Hocus Pocus opens on Halloween in 1693. And Thackeray finds out that his sister has been whisked away by the Sanderson sisters. Uh, And when we're at their house, we discover that they use children as a means of trying to stay forever young. Um, they sh- should have just lived in the 21st century. We've got Botox, like, <laughs> Thackeray is turned into a black cat. And I think, like, one of the major differences between these two films, um, like The Witches, is such good puppetry, whereas Cat Thackeray is a bit of a off putting for me sometimes. What do you think? It's aged a little. <laughs> I don't like saying that because, like, I love this film, but yeah, it's. The puppetry is um, definitely different. I also want to say, like, see that first scene when they're kind of running in the fields and stuff as well. It reminds me of like Jane Austen. I don't know if anyone else got that. It's like very Victorian vibes. And I, as somebody that loves like Jane Austen movies and really crappy adaptations of Victorian books and stuff, (laughs) I love that. Like, I I like that little nod. I forgot about that first scene um, until I rewatched it. I really think that the CGI on the cat face is it has definitely not aged as well as it it could have. Yeah. I I think that some of the money they put in this movie should have went to I mean when the Salem cat from the Sabrina show has aged a little bit better than <laughs> the the cat effects in this film like that's a little problematic for me. But I'll, I can look past it. I can look past it because I love his voice. I love Jason Marston's voice. The three witches are taken to be hanged after um, the disappearance of Emily and uh, Thackeray. I love how they've just got the nooses around their necks and they're cracking jokes about <laughs> Thackeray. It's like, oh, cat's got my tongue when they're asking where Thackeray is. Um, and just before they're executed, they uh, recite a curse, which means that if a virgin lights the black flame candle in their cottage during a full moon on Halloween, they will rise from the dead. What do we what do we think of this scene? Because we see poor Cat Thackeray as well trying to get his dad's attention, and his dad his oh. dad is just not having it. It's really sad. It's so sad. He hasn't found his voice yet. It makes me sad. Like I want to know, like how, like when did he exactly learn to talk? Like when did Thackeray? Like when did he learn to talk? And when did he learn to speak? Because if he just would have learned to talk immediately, then obviously this movie wouldn't happen, and we wouldn't have a film. But it, it's so heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking just just watching him get kicked away by his dad and his away beast. As a cat lady, like it breaks my little heart seeing this black guy. He's like, dad, please go around his legs. It's like, away beast. Mm. It's a shame. It's such a shame. But I do love that they're comedic right until their untimely demise, you know, and they're so up. Oh, they don't give a fuck. Oh, no, they don't. <laughs> 
So we move forward three centuries and we're in the classroom, the teacher's telling the story of the Sanderson sisters and we meet Max, who is just like, I don't believe in Halloween, which is such a strange statement to me because it's like saying you don't believe in fresh air. Like, Halloween's a thing. How can you not believe in it? What a weird, what a weird statement to make too. What a, just what a weird kid in general, especially being from Los Angeles. Being from Los Angeles, how can you not believe in Halloween? Like I've lived in Los Angeles for 12 years. This town goes fucking nutter butter for Halloween. <laughs> like you can't live in LA and then not say, oh, I don't, I don't, I, this place, it was invented by the, the candy company. No way, man, no way. You, you celebrate Halloween no matter where you live. It doesn't matter, but especially in Los Angeles. Like you, you celebrate Halloween, bro. Come on. Exactly. And then um, Alison, a girl in the class, shows him up basically and says about the roots of Halloween. Um, it's got nothing to do with candy companies. It's rooted in paganism. Um, he gives her his number, which I just think is... I just saw that and I was like, the only thing men have is audacity. Like, why is he getting up and giving her her number? It's absolutely unacceptable. The audacity the goal and the gumption of it all no <laughs> it's a very cringy moment I do I remember being a young child and even in the theater being like oh he's so cute like the moment I saw him in like the first opening scene so like I've been gay from like a very young age but then like the moment he did that even then being seven like I was like why did he do that <laughs> like that like it kind of like oh god like I I think being Alice and I would have been a little turned off myself I love in the next scene where she gives him it back and she goes trick or treat and that just makes me laugh every time as well. I love it. So uh, we meet Max's sister, Danny. I love Danny. She's such an icon throughout this whole film. Um, he's forced to take her trick or treat in and he's just really a bit of a dick to her the whole time. And I love when she's kind of like, had enough and she gets really upset and then she just like throws herself on this hay to cry in front of these pumpkins like so dramatic the um, huge drama queen oh i love it very very dramatic and i love that she's dressed as a witch hmm. i love that she's dressed as a witch and uh she has like the witch the witch candy candy bar and i didn't i again i watched this yesterday as well to prepare for this and there was a lot of little things that i don't think i ever really noticed <laughs> the color palette of the the outfit she wears is quite similar to the sanderson sisters she looks like a little version of them which i thought was yeah. really cute so on their trick-or-treating they happen across um allison's house and while they are Danny again has been so funny just embarrassing her brother going on about how he fancies Allison and stuff and they the three her of them yabos. Her yabos. <laughs> <laughs> the words and um the three of them decide to go to the Sanderson cottage so it used to be a museum that's how Allison knows about it they go in like they're having a look around just kind of doing what kids do like we've seen this so many times in films just breaking into somewhere spooky looking and just having a little nosy about but Max absolutely insists on being the big man like he has played the cynical boy this whole time. Like, I don't believe in Halloween. Oh, I don't like just being horrible to his sister. And now he's like, I'm gonna light the black flame candle. 
just for bands. Um, this scene like makes me so angry because other girls are telling him not to and he still does it. What do you think of Max's actions here? So I have an older brother and I feel like that my older brother probably would have done the exact same thing and I probably would have been Danny in this case. I, I, I wouldn't have done it personally. I, as much as I love everything spooky and everything scary and I would have loved to be in the scenario in my head. I I just, I, I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it. So I don't know. A lot of the things that Max does in this film is just very douchey. He's such a, he's such a douchebag character. Again, like if he didn't do it, we wouldn't have a movie. But And I'm glad that he does it in retrospect, but it's just the way he goes about it. He's just trying to impress Allison. And This is what happens when you don't listen to the girls of the film. They're telling you exactly. not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love as well, like once he's lit it, it's immediate that shit hits the fan. It's not like it starts getting ooky spooky. It's like instantly, oh, they're back. I quite like that. Like they're not really given much of a chance to react. But yeah, I was rolling my eyes. You know what I found really interesting is how over three centuries, this house is still standing in near perfect condition. Like this house is literally like it got turned into a museum. It still has like ancient artifacts. It still has the cauldron. It still has broomsticks. It still has... All of these things over the course of 300 years that haven't withered away. And I know in Salem that they still have like, you know, certain witch houses and they still have things that are still standing. But how on earth did this house not, like, how has it stood the test of time and still look exactly the same? I, I didn't really think about this until last night while I was watching it. That's very true. Shout out to, <laughs> to Victorian architects, I guess. They knew how to build I houses. <laughs> I, know. I guess so maybe that was part of the curse <laughs> I guess yeah you would have like fully expected there to be some kind of renovations or at least the inside of the place look a bit different um through renovations or just you know where's the till that there would have been to pay for the entry to the place and there was none of that it's just the house basically looks exactly the same so um the witches straight away are like sniffing out the kids and Again, Danny being an absolute like icon of this film, she kind of like jumps out straight away and is like, oh hi, it was me that did it. I don't know if she's like in denial about what's about to happen or just hoping that she could do something to stop it. But um she ends up in the chair and the three of them are trying to take her soul. But luckily Max does at least one thing good and he comes to her rescue and acts like this like warlock who brings down what's it like the reign of death or something and he literally oh God, just sets it. the fire alarm off which is actually very <laughs> clever and you just see the three of them running around like headless chickens and he manages it's to grab line. he says uh he says he makes he makes fire in his hands <laughs> when he, <laughs> when he lights the, they say the funniest things I, okay sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you, no, but I, like... it's the funniest line he makes fire in his hands <laughs> And um, on the advice of Binks the cat, um, who we now find out talks, uh, he steals the spell book. So yeah, like what do we what do we think of this? Yeah, I feel like it's you know the first time in the film we see Max do something good, um, and I'm glad that he kind of uses what he knows about the 21st century against the witches uh, because they'll think at the moment they have all the power, but 
because I love this scene one thing I also love um when we get the the sisters back is when Winnie's like tapping on the glass to the book and is like wakey wakey I, <laughs> I love that <laughs> it's just tired eye like oh hello it's like little, <laughs> little details like that um and you know Mary as well being like I smell children and all this kind of stuff and like I, I I love this scene it's very reminiscent of you know that first scene when we see them and you know when they first come in and uh Winnie is just like doors wide open big dramatic entrance I love it I, this is like one of my favorite scenes no I agree and I love it when Sarah reaches up into the rafters and she's looking around and she pulls and she says my lucky rat tail just where I left it yeah, there's very little, um, there's a lot of little intricate things that happen in this particular scene that are, um, that shine a, a lot, that, I mean, the, the whole movie shines, but this definitely sets up the structure for the rest of the movie. I love, like, the the part where she shoots the, shoots the electricity out of her hands and is dragging Max across the floor and up the ceiling and all of that stuff. I love the dynamic between the sisters, like, the dynamic never, never, like, never shifts. It's just a consistent, it's very, it's very fast, fast paced. It's sharp. And they just have the the same energy throughout the entire movie. It never, it never withers. It's just, it, it, it's just on point the entire time. And I really, I adore it. It is very sisterly as well. Like I could kind of see in their dynamic, like how me and my sister talk to each other and stuff sometimes. Cause it's not, I feel like with friends, sometimes it can be like a lot of love. Whereas with sisters or siblings in general, like the love is there, but sometimes I'm like to my sister, you're fucking driving me up the wall. And it's just like a minor inconvenience <laughs> and stuff like that. Like you can be a bit more horrible to them. And um, it's not as big a deal. As well, I know you're mentioning there, Lindsay, about siblings. I also see the Sanderson sisters a little bit like the witch's version of like Mean Girls, Winnie's Regina, um, you know, Sir Jessica Parker plays Karen, and we yeah. have Mary is, um, oh, what, what's, Gretchen. what's Gretchen? Yeah. Do you guys see that? I never considered that until literally just now, but yes. That's actually real. That's a great comparison. That's a really great comparison. It's very, it's in a lot of these witch movies actually kind of, kind of can do that. Like you, you have Heather's and you have, which isn't a witch mm-hmm. movie, but like any of like these, these, these girl group films where like it's the girls against everybody else. Like you have Heather's, you have The Craft, you have Hocus Pocus, you have like, it, you can, Mean Girls is kind of derived from all of these films. Like it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. So after they've like escaped the sisters, got the spell book, they go to a cemetery um, where they should be protected because cemeteries are hallowed ground. They later rise one of Winnie's former lovers from the dead, <laughs> which is hilarious. And it, this the story is so sketch as well because he was fooling around so with bad. Sarah behind her back which is very bad you don't do that What's and it? I love instead of condemning the sister they're like all right let's sew this motherfucker's lips shut and just kill him instead like we'll poison him and it's all good but like still we love the sister and we'll keep her close and it's fine but like we're just gonna kill the lover like <laughs> I know um, so the next portion of the film is really a lot of the Sanderson sisters exploding 1993 Salem. Um, we see them get on the bus and flirt with the bus driver. Um, they go like 
to this person's house who's trick-or-treating and who's dressed up like the devil and are convinced that he like is the devil who gifted them the book all those years ago that seems so funny to me because his wife gets so wound up when Sarah's just like dancing with him in the living room so I love this part too it's so funny when she's like wandering around the kitchen and she's like oh a torture chamber and she's picking up all the <laughs> utensils and she's like oh and um I I like that part a lot too and then like they're getting chased around by the dog and they, she, they've never seen a television I love watching them just try to adapt to everything that's going on around them like it's like people who have been frozen in time who like in the fifth element, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? When, when um, Mila, Jabo- I, I know I'm pronouncing her name wrong, but when Mila Jabovovich, whatever her last name is, um, is, you know, like trying to adapt to her surroundings. And when any, any character in the movie is trying to adapt to this, it's just, it's funny to watch. It's fun to watch. And this is no different. It's fun to watch them on the bus. It's fun to watch them ex- like um, see the pavement and they think it's a river. Yes. And, oh. you know, and they, and they see the firemen and they're like, oh, they're witch hunters. And, you know, they're, they're carrying axes to chop the wood to burn us with. Like, <laughs> it, it, they're so dumb to the new world around them. And it's so much fun. It's so much fun to see and to hear how they react to everything. It's, it's brilliant. It's when they're surrounded by children and Mary's like, I can smell children, but I can't see any <laughs> children because they're all in their Halloween costumes. And they just don't get it. They just don't understand. And Halloween, and then they realize immediately that Halloween has become a night of frolic. Like, oh, like because Halloween was never was never like that back in the 1600s. Halloween yeah. was just, you know, the night for the dead to walk the earth or whatnot, or you know, it just, it, it, they realize immediately that it's become something completely different. I'd love to see how the Sanderson sisters would deal with TikTok as well, or just smartphones. Like, who is this person speaking in this little box? <laughs> I think we're going to get that with Hocus Pocus 2. Oh, yeah, this is tricky. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see that comes out in September. So we're going to see how all of this kind of pans out. And uh, it's either going to be really, really fucking good or not so good. I have a feeling it's going to be good. Yeah. I mean, how can it not be good? So during this time, Winifred reveals to the sisters that the spell that brought them back only works on Halloween. And unless they can suck the life out of a child, at least one child then they're going to turn into dust when the sun rises. They're trying to get a child. Um, the Our three kids, Alison, Max and Danny, have kind of figured this out with the help of Thackeray. And they lure them to the high school and they tra- trap them in a pottery kiln and burn them alive but because of the spell it it doesn't work they're just revived again this part of the film's so like frustrating from the point of view of our like three kids who were like trying to root for and help them in their quest to defeat the Sanderson sisters because they all just go to bed they're just like oh we're done for the night they go to bed Danny with her cat which is very relatable for Lucy and I and then Max and Allison in what looks like the most uncomfortable sleeping position I've ever seen on screen. How are they lying? Because at one point, like, they lift the doobie up and his leg is, like, up. And I'm like, what? How are you sleeping? (laughs) I think they were just so tired that they just 
I'm, I'm making excuses for them. I don't know. I just, I, I will say that I love Max's bedroom. And as a kid, I remember just always yes. loving Max's bedroom and how we had that staircase that leads up to that weird nook window area. And the, oh, I was just always so fascinated with the way that his room was structured. But no, I don't, I don't understand how they kind of just left it at, as that was and how Binks didn't, didn't have more information for them at that point i feel like Binks should have known should have known a little bit more for them to let them know that that wasn't the end like i think over 300 years Binks should have had a little bit more knowledge yeah <laughs> that this is not this is not how it ends guys like we have 20 minutes left <laughs> like, what do you think lucy no i'm i'm the same as well um surely the anxiety of it all i mean they might be having a sugar crash from all the sweeties they've eaten as well but it's still like come on surely like you can't go to bed after all that uh, but I know I get it it's 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 to move the plot along and I also love the bedroom as well I love especially like in other kids films where they have like and it, it's supposed to be seen as the bad room like the attic rooms I've always wanted like an attic bedroom as a kid or one with the like windy stairs and stuff like that like the whole set design of Hocus Pocus is really gorgeous I mean it's it's, oh, it's, it's the suburbs but like it's just it's beautiful it's you know kind of like Edward Scissorhands is in the suburbs that's done in a totally different way but I love that as well like Mm. just stunning so curiosity gets the better of Max and Alison with this book and they're like we can use this to reverse the spell on Thackeray so they open it and they don't realize that this thing is like a beacon for the Sanderson sisters who just descend on the Denison house so they the witches kidnap Danny and Binks and steal the spellbook back. And uh, Sarah then uses her singing voice to lure all the children of Salem back to the Sanderson Cottage so that they can act, enact their plan to live forever. I love that we get to see Sarah's powers because um, we've, we've kind of heard about them, but we've not seen them being used yet. Sarah Jessica Parker is actually quite a good singer. She's sung in Glee before. And um, so it was nice to see that be used. I think this is the uh, probably the creepiest part of the movie. Like, I think that this this whole part is creepy. The music, the way that it's filmed the way that she's like just the the shot before she starts singing and you have the Sanderson sisters carrying Danny over like the water and you have the moon and you have just that that wide shot of them um, just gliding over the water like back to their house and then you have Winnie saying telling her what to do telling her to go use her voice to get the kids and then all the kids just like you know zombieing their way to the oh it's just so spooky it's so spooky and that's like when when it it turns into like it it turns creepy that's when it like gets kind of because I you know it's a it's a Disney movie and it's not very scary like it's got like creepy elements but it's it's very Disney-fied and like the original script and the original story it was it was written by Mick Garris it was written by like a horror maestro you know what I mean beforehand and um, it, it was originally supposed to be like a pretty scary film, but they they Disney-fied it like a lot to make it more kid-friendly. This is where like things kind of get kicked kicked into like the the scary mode, at least for me. And um, it's this whole scene just it's just played out so beautifully creepy, and uh, I, I love it. And her voice is so good. Her voice is so good. You're right; she does have a beautiful singing voice. Oh, this is definitely one of the highlights. Um, I totally agree with you there because like if we 
compare this to the witches where they're from the outset like aesthetically once you know the face and the mask has come off they're really scary looking whereas with the Sanderson sisters it's not about how they look that makes them scary it's about their powers that make them scary and like how they entice the children so this is kind of where you see that side whereas before it was more kind of the comedic and the kind of campy side of it and it's really nice to see Sarah use her powers especially because you know she's been kind of seen as a little bit kind of airheadish as we said like the Karen of the group before so to see this and like her beautiful voice as well like I, I really like this yeah she's not the capable one like at, at yeah. up until this point she's not capable of much and now you realize that she's actually probably the most capable out of the three because she has literally lured the entire town of children to this house with the gift of song and it's like it's so simple but it's the most effective out of all three of of the of the women and it's 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 very strong it's very strong so when max and allison get to the sanderson cottage they try and trick the sanderson sisters into thinking that the the curse is being enacted they're about to turn back to dust by making them think that the sun has rose an hour early um, so the witches panic and pass out and allow Danny, Max, Allison and Thackeray to disappear and escape. We see at the start of the film when they're like screaming about the rain and it takes them a hot minute to realise that it's literally just water. Freaking out to the point where they've passed out and they're not even dying. Like, they're absolutely fine. I love the drama of it all, though. Between that <laughs> and Danny throwing herself on the pile of hay, I'm like, I relate to this. <laughs> Just all the emotions. It's overwhelming for them. <laughs> They're very theatrical. They're very theatrical in the way that it's put. I love it. It is but water! like they just give it's very Shakespearean like they all just are so Shakespearean and they would have fared very well on a Shakespearean stage and uh I they would have been actresses I think if they weren't witches they would have been great actresses and uh it's it's really funny (laughs) so our group ends up back at the cemetery and the Sanderson sisters try and uh, snatch Danny from the air um when he tries to use the last vial of the potion to suck Danny's soul out of her um, so that she can use it for herself. But uh, Thackeray knocks it out of her hand and Max catches it and he drinks it, which means that if Winifred's going to take a soul, it's going to be his and not Danny's, which is very brave and selfless selfless of him it's a nice character arc because as we've been saying before he's been a bit of an arsehole at the start of this film he's not the best brother he kind of tries to give this macho big I am you know they've they've moved and stuff like that I think he's wanting to be like new place new school I'm going to be this entirely new person and all this kind of stuff so to see him like really care about his sister and like be selfless it's like a nice arc for his character I like it it's nice to see yeah I agree I don't have any sibling that would have done this for me and I'm the youngest of eight and I can safely say that they would have all been like taken like they would have, <laughs> <laughs> none of them none of them would have done this for me Aww. so yeah like he he definitely had like it, it's unfortunate that it took an hour and 27 minutes for this character arc to happen <laughs> But um, I'm I'm glad that it did, and it it helped me like him more. 
And I love that it like it gave him like a chance to have like an open shirt too. But that's just the gay in me. Um, <laughs> I just I liked that. Um, but I I love this whole ending. This whole ending is just it's lit perfectly, and I love that it's kind of like at like the, like at the sun is rising, and like just the way that it's like all like purpley and pink and yellow, like the way that like all the hues are are lit. And um, I, I I know it's on a soundstage, and I know that. I, it, it's just, it's so pretty like just the way it's, and I and I love the part and I know that, uh, the other two witches when Sarah and Mary are flung into the air on their vacuum and their mop and they're still flying like they fly past Winnie and uh, like she looks up and then they just zoom past her and then like it cuts back to like everybody else on the ground and like a whole minute passes and then it goes back to them and they're still flying through the fucking air <laughs> I it's the, the comedy that is happening like through the terror is it's so good it's so it's a 10. <laughs> so as Winnie is trying to suck Max's soul out of his body the sun is starting to rise Allison and Danny are trying to fight off Mary and Sarah away from them so they don't get their souls sucked and in the struggle between Max and Winifred Winifred t- touches the cemetery floor she touches this hallowed ground and turns to stone into Mm. one of the most fabulous statues ever I think anyway and as the sun finishes rising Mary and Sarah are disintegrated into dust along with Winifred's stone body and so the witch's death breaks Thackeray's curse and the ending of the film is him reuniting with his sister, which is really sweet. I can't help but feel sorry for Danny. I think she, I, she was really excited about having a cat. Um, <laughs> and she doesn't get to have a cat anymore, unfortunately. But um, it's really sweet that they're returned to each other. Um, what, do we, what do we think of the ending? It's really cute. I really like that it it kind of counteracts like the, the brother and sister being reunited and then like the way that it kind of goes with Max and Danny like hugging it out and it, it plays off of like the whole brother sister thing the whole sibling bond and I like that happy ending and how that like how it plays off of each other I really enjoyed that and again I'm not like all for a happy ending I could really like if everybody died I would have been fine with it but um (laughs) but I I did I did like that that you know that Binks was reunited with his sister and that she had actually been waiting for him the whole time I always get like a little teary-eyed for some reason when you know she's like comes out from behind the tree and she's like Zachary Binks where have you been (laughs) And I love that it ends on Danny's face. I love that. I love that little, the, the last frame on Danny and Max's face. And they're just like smiling. And um, it's a good ending. It's a good ending. And I'm glad that, I'm glad that it just didn't end with a dead cat because I don't like animal cruelty. Like, <laughs> and, I, and I really was really upset when the cat is like thrown against the rocks and does die. So, you know, the fact that his soul does get released and that it's not just a dead cat on the rocks. Like I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, I I really like this ending. Kind of in comparison to with like the witches, it is a happy ending. But what I like about this, it isn't like super happy because it is bittersweet. Because like even though Binks is reunited, Binks still has to die. So it's not like you know everybody in this is like everyone's alive. It's all happy clappy. You know there is that 
they do get reunited but there is that kind of sadness to it as well um so before we get into box office and ratings is there anything else you guys would like to say about hocus pocus i've seen this movie so many times i've seen it probably more than i've seen any other movie to be honest with you like I was watching it last night and I was reciting it like I put it on mute at one point because I was looking at something on my laptop and as I was typing up the response to an email I was reciting the words on the screen (laughs) like I didn't even have like the captions on or anything and I was like Oh, you know, like reciting the spells. I can't get Mexico. As I was like typing the email, <laughs> and it's so funny just how things stay with you, and how things like make an impact on you. And I just, I just really love this movie. And it's, you know, it's just another timeless movie. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited to see the sequel and just see how they're brought back. Like, see how the witches are brought back, and just see how it, how and if they bring other characters back into it, and. I'm uh, I'm just I'm just happy this movie was made. I really am. Like you know, like plot holes and like certain things aside, they're just all so forgivable to where like I can't I can't find anything wrong with it. And it's just such a it's such a classic. It's such a it's such an all time classic, and it just deserves all the love that it's garnered over all the years. And I just love it. I love it so much. Hocus Pocus was made on a twenty eight million dollar budget, but it only yes. grossed. 45.3 million so it doesn't even make back double and when I was looking it up uh, Stan will be able to confirm um, they decided to release this film in the summer because they thought they'd be able to capitalise on all the kids being off school but it was also released on the same day as Free Willy and I think that must have been more appealing um, but it's since made much more money in DVD sales and it's heyday it was making one million dollar per year every October just in October in DVD sales um, so I think this has become a much beloved Halloween kids classic yeah it's it's got a really really like like I said earlier at the El Capitan theater up the street like they sell out every single night that it's showing for the week that they play it during its week-long October run and I went with my boyfriend during and this is pandemic so like I went last October with my boyfriend during a morning show and we were the only two in the theater and it was so bizarre and so weird and the most fun I've ever had at a movie theater because we just had the entire and it was decorated for Halloween they had pumpkins and they had like you know the, the the props and stuff and it was it was magical it was so magical but yeah I remember seeing it in the theaters as a kid during the summer and it 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 was different seeing a movie about Halloween during the summer even back then but like this movie definitely captures the essence of Halloween unlike a lot of Halloween themed movies hmm. Like there are some Halloween themed horror films that really capture the essence of Halloween, like Trick or Treat or Halloween itself. And, but this is one of them that definitely should have been released during the Halloween season. And it probably would have fared a lot better. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, It's just, as you said, with like Halloween, um, even like, I don't know why I thought of Halloween Town there. Halloween Town, Disney, that's Disney's in my mind right now. But this would have, I mean, I would have loved to have seen this in the cinema. Um. And there's nothing better than having the cinema to yourself. I've had that experience once or twice and it's just so good. But that's such a shame because, yeah, I feel like if this was released 
as I said, even September in the run up to Halloween, um, it probably would have done a lot better in the box office. It, it's just unfortunate. It was the same time as a massive movie like Free Willy, but I haven't really seen Hocus Pocus. That I mean, to be honest, we don't really have Halloween showings of stuff here in the UK. Cinemas don't really do special stuff on Halloween. It's not as big here. I'd love to see Hocus Pocus on Halloween this year at the cinema. That would be great fun. Do it. If you ever get the opportunity, do it. It's just a different experience. It's a really different experience because you can just feel it. You can feel the yeah. you can feel the the energy when you see anything Halloween around Halloween. Like I don't I don't know. It's it's a it's a different vibe. It's a different vibe. So in terms of ratings, um uh, we'll find amongst the audience this is very much beloved, but with critics not so much. So this got a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDB. It got 38% from Rotten Critics. Rotten Tomatoes critics oh. and 71 from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes they were saying about how it's um like hokey pokey and like it just it's like melodramatic for the sake of it and I just think sometimes that the critics just don't know how to have fun like I don't think they understand sometimes that a film is just supposed to be fun so they shit Agreed. on it just for the sake of it they don't understand joy no, they don't understand joy. And that's what Hocus Pocus is to me. It's just pure, fun, campy joy. It's one of those movies that you literally can just press play on at any time. And, and again, it's like, you know, like a Christmas story. Like I can only watch a Christmas story on Christmas Eve and mm-hmm. I can watch it through Christmas Day and I can watch it on repeat though that, that 24 hours. And I will not watch it again, like throughout the rest of the year. But for the, that 24 hours... I transported to a different time period and I'm so fucking happy. And, and I'm just, I'm just full of joy. Like you said, with Hocus Pocus from July 16th through the 19th ish, like whenever it was released until Halloween day, like the day after Halloween, I will watch it on repeat and I'll just have it playing and I will not get bored. I will, I, I'm the most cheerful and happiest and Halloweeny that I, I've ever been for, for those five fucking months, like four months, however many months that is. And nothing will will change that. Like I've been like that since I was a kid, and I'm 35 now. I'm almost 36, and it it nothing sucks the joy out of it for me. Like it's just like a mainstay in my movie loving life. With all that being said, Stan, what do you rate Hocus Pocus out of 10? 10. <laughs> And for and for so many different reasons than the witches. The witches is it's a scary film, and that's why that's a different sort of ten. This movie is a ten for like nostalgia factors. Like this is like a nostalgic ten, and uh, you know, like movie critic wise, it might like I would probably give it like a seven if I was a movie critic. Like this would probably get like a, a B plus. But I'm not a fucking movie critic. This movie, when I watch it, I'm eight years old again I'm seven years old again every single time like I don't watch this movie through the lens of an adult and I I, I can't and so it's it's always going to be a 10 like nothing will take that away from me ever we'll see what do you rate Hocus Pocus out of 10 I have to agree with you and it's a 10 I love yes! this film I adore this like as you said like even the tiny little flaws that I could find in this, I really don't care about it because I finished this film feeling happy and just like so much nostalgia. And I feel like it's a film that even if you're not a hardcore horror fan, like I feel like it's loved by so many people and it's got such like a nice like fan base and cult following. And 
I really can't fault it. You know, I'm so excited for this the sequel. It's been like decades long and I still still love this film. It's perfect to me. I just love it. Um, I'm Word. gonna give this film a nine out of ten. Um, it's so good. It's so much fun. Um, I can't believe I waited until I was 29 to watch it. Um, because I do absolutely love it now, and it's gonna be in my Halloween rotation now as well for many years to come because it's just so much fun and it's something a bit different from my usual Halloween rotation as well it's a, not something nice and fun and campy to slip in there so that's our spooky sleepover over and done with and I'm devastated I wish we had another film to talk about because this has been so much fun I know oh I agree <laughs> you guys I had so much fun talking about this movie well both of these movies both of these movies this is such a good combination such a good combination absolutely so next week we are going to be chatting with a uh, tiktok star Stephen mckell uh, and we are going to be talking on, about horror films under the theme fuck them kids and we're going to be chatting through the unborn and children of the corn uh, i'm really looking forward to that as well it'll be fun to have three scots in the house lucy won't it Oh, hopefully everybody understands us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Those are both really good movies too. I can't wait to hear that one. Um, so that's next week. Um, Sam, do you want to tell our listeners where um, they can find you online so we can see your YouTube reviews? Oh, yeah, yeah. So on YouTube, I am at Stanny Boy Reviews. And again, I post videos weekly, usually every Sunday. Um, I'm on Instagram at Stanny Boy Reviews, and I am on Twitter at Stanny Boy Review without the S. And um, that's it. So yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This was such a blast, and I'm so happy I got to meet you guys finally. And I hope to I hope to talk to you guys again. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Um, Lucy, where can people find you online? You can find me on all the socials at Lulu underscore Pew and keep an eye out as well for some upcoming articles for Pride Month. I'm going to be speaking about all things queer horror, giving all the recommendations. So yeah, go go check that out. Lucy works so hard. Lucy's always got stuff in the go. Lucy's also um, like published author, is working again to writing a book. (laughs) I'm just like, I admire it so much. I'm so proud of her, but I'm just I'm too lazy for that. (laughs) Lindsay (laughs) (laughs) You bring us comedic gold every week though. You are the comedy of this podcast, and not everyone loves you for it. (laughs) Thanks. Yes. Uh, you can find me on at hi it's lindsay underscore on all social media you can find the podcast on twitter at girlfriend pod and on instagram at girlfriends underscore podcast we'll be back next week with another episode and until then stay spooky yes bye you guys bye.